All right. My plan today was to, uh, to look like Logan, so I brought my sweatshirt. But then I was wearing around a church, and I'm like, this is way too warm. So I, I'm not looking like him today. But anyways, we'll go ahead and turn to Genesis 37. It's page 40. Uh, as we're continuing to look at these different rough crowds that uh, Joseph faced as he went through his life, and then how God used those trials uh, to work out his will in Joseph's life. Which, and I'm hoping that this is a, an encouragement to all of us, because you know, we're all dealing with different struggles and challenges and, and issues in life. Again, the, kind of the rough crowds that we've been talking about. Uh, but it's, it should be encouraging us to know that God uses those things. God works in those things uh, to bring about not only his will, but we know that his will is good for us and, and good for others. And so our prayer is that as we go through these, uh, these weeks in this message series, that, that we'll be encouraged by that, that we'll understand that, that we'll take steps in our lives to trust God and, and to respond God's way. I was challenging the guys um, at the Bible study on Thursday night. Um, Greg was teaching, but I, was, I can't keep my mouth shut, so I'm in the back and I had to bring up something, you know. Um, and so I was just saying, you know, this, this whole thing uh, about Christians being in God's Word and, and um, you know, living out God's Word, it, it's important for us to understand, which may seem kind of strange, but what God says in the Bible is actually how we're supposed to live. Now, I know it might seem kind of strange to hear that, but uh, it is. It, it's, God's the one who designed life. God's the one who designed how life is supposed to be lived. And so when we want to have fulfillment, when we want to experience what God wants for us to experience in life, we have to do it his way. Um, and so we're looking at Joseph's life, these rough crowds. So the question before you this morning is, um, and before all of us, is who's your rough crowd? Who is it that's maybe put you in a difficult situation? Uh, it could be family. Uh, Joseph, obviously, last week and this week, we're really going to be looking at family. And then next week, there's some other people who have become a kind of rough crowd in his life. But it could be family. It could be, um, you know, work-related, a boss or a co-worker, a neighbor or a friend, a church family, whatever it might be. We all have, I'm sure, a rough crowd. We may even be in those situations. And so the question then is how we're going to respond. Since we have that, how does God want us to respond? So for Joseph, uh, and like us, we all have to deal with family. And that's kind of the first rough crowd that any of us will ever have to deal with, right? Because we're, that's the first place we're living is in a family. Um, and it's interesting, just so you guys uh, feel, you know, better about things. This is what Jesus had to deal with. So Jesus came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people, that word people means kinsmen, and if you read down into verse 31, it's actually his mother and brothers. When they heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. Can you imagine that? Jesus! His mom and brothers show up with some of the other family, and they're going to take custody of him. They're going to pull him away because he's lost his mind. So if you're sitting here this morning going, you know, people are giving me a hard time for doing life God's way, you're in great company because Jesus, his family thought he'd lost his mind. So, uh, it, you know, you should be encouraged by that. 
Um, so go ahead, and uh, if you're not in Genesis chapter 37, go ahead and get there, and we're going to read some of the verses here and kind of get into the story a little bit this morning. And I, and I gave you another map. That's exciting, I know, isn't it? Okay. So, it says this. Then uh, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem, which is about 50 miles north of where they live. They live in, they're in Hebron, the valley of Hebron, Hebron, and they were up 50 miles north into the, near the city of Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, are, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go, obedient son that he is. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So I did some figuring. It's about 50 miles. It's about 20 plus hours of walking for a, a young man his age, probably pr- fairly fit. You know, if I was doing it, it's probably three weeks. Uh, but it'd probably take him two or three. Uh, I had blisters all over my feet and that kind of thing. But it's about a two or three uh, day trip for him. So he's up walking that. Now, we're not told why they are shepherding sheep 50 miles away from home. But we do know why, probably, Jacob went and had Joseph check on him. If you were to read before these chapters, and I'm not going to do it this morning, you get to do this when you go home, you'll find that had, when Jacob had traveled into what w- would become the promised land, he stopped and he set up camp outside of Shechem. And as they were living there, his daughter Dinah decided she was going to go in and hang out with some friends in the city of Shechem. While she's there, she's raped by the son of the tribal leader of that area. Well, obviously that gets back to her blood brothers, her real you know, brothers, not these half-brothers, Levi and Simeon. And so they decided we're going to avenge her. So they go into the city of Shechem, and these two guys kill every man in the city. Now, you might be thinking, oh, come on, two guys able to kill all those guys? You'll have to read what happened prior to that that allowed them to do that. I'm not going to tell you. You get to read about it, um, but it's interesting. So after that happened, after they kill all the guys, God tells Jacob, okay, enough, enough. You need to move. So they moved down to Bethel in the valley of Hebron. And that's where they set up camp. Now, on the journey down, just a couple things just for your knowledge. God then met with Jacob, and he transfers the the promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac. Now he's transferring it to Jacob. It's going to be through Jacob's line that all these blessings that he'd given Abraham, including eventually this blessing for the world, which would become Jesus Christ, uh, that happens at this time. Also, his um, Joseph's mom, Rachel, um, she ends up dying, uh, in childbirth to Benjamin. So Ben, ben is born, but uh, she sadly passes away. And, but now we have the 12th son, who would then eventually become the 12th tribe of Israel. So Joseph then arrives up in Shechem. He's looking around for his brothers, can't see them, can't see the sheep, talks to some guy. The guy tells him, hey, they, they actually traveled further north up to Dothan, which is about 15 miles. So he heads that way, as he's heading that way, far off, his brothers see him. And so they come up with the plan. Okay, we're going to get rid of Joseph once and for all. Let's go ahead and kill him. 
and which, when you think about that, you know, I think about my brothers. I think the worst they ever got was let's hold him down and give him a pink belly. You know, they never really talked about. Anybody know what a pink belly is? Okay, some some of you younger siblings understand what a pink belly is. Anyways, uh, but these guys will know we're going to kill him, and then we'll take his tunic and we'll put goat's blood on it, and we'll send it back to dad and say that the wild beast got him. And so Reuben's like the oldest brother. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. Let's just put him in a pit, um, which is a dry well. Let's just throw him in there and let's deal with him later. And they all said, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. But then it, it, you got to figure out these guys are probably sitting around or eating dinner, it says, and, and they're probably thinking, okay, if, if we don't do something with Joseph, then he's going to get out, he's going to go tell dad, and then we're all going to get in trouble. So we've got to figure out something. So as we're kind of discussing that, uh, Reuben has taken off and, and, you know, checking the sheep or something, but Judah's kind of heading this up, the, uh, the other brother. And so he's saying, hey, let's do this. Here comes a caravan of traders, and let's sell them, and that way we'll make some money out of it. All right, so they're like, hey, let's, let's, let's do that. Well, then uh, Reuben comes back, and this is what we, we find out. So now Reuben returned to the pit, which is a dried-up well. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I going to go? In other words, what am I going to do? I'm the oldest. Dad's going to blame me for this. My plan was, he didn't tell his brothers this, but his plan was, let's put him in a pit. I'll come back. Before my brothers realize it, I'm going to grab him, you know, probably take him back to dad, or at least get rid of him somewhere so that he's not being dealt with by his brothers. So they took Joseph's tunic, and they kind of go back to plan A here, uh, to take his tunic, and they slaughter a male goat, dip it in a tunic in the blood, and they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this, please examine it, see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Imagine Jacob, imagine the brothers. You know, this guy is just tore up, and the brothers know the truth, but they're standing there going, oh, yeah, so sad. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol, or I will die in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, so while all that's going on, the Midianites take Joseph, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the, the head of the bodyguard there. And so what should our takeaway be from this? <clears throat> well, it's simply this. If you have a family member who you hate, don't kill them. Sell them for some money. All right, let's pray and close. Well, no, here's a, no. Sorry, no, there's more to it. Again, I get paid by the word, so we've got to talk a little bit more about this. Um, so this, this passage is really kind of a transitional passage. There's no specific teaching in it necessarily, other than maybe, you know, don't mess with your older brothers. Um, like, I could probably take one of my brothers. You know, they're all getting up closer to 60. And so I could probably take one of them, but there's no way I'm taking all four of them at one time. I could outrun them because they all have different, you know, knees are, you know, Titanic, or uh, titanium, and uh, anyways. So, uh, so there's no real good, you know, teaching from this. But God has given us instruction in the Bible about how to deal with relationships. 
And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take you to Psalm 37. You can turn there. It's page uh, 571. Um, because again, we all have these rough crowds. We all have these family issues um, that may be going on where we're feeling like we're having conflict in family or, or church family or whatever the case may be. And even some of us may be feeling like, hey, people are getting away with things that they shouldn't be getting away with. Kind of like what Joseph was in. You know, Joseph's brothers, they, they literally ruined his life. I mean, his, he would probably possibly become like the head of his dad's business, especially if he is the supervisor and all that kind of stuff we talked about last week. And so all that's been gone. He is shipped off to Egypt to be a slave. I mean, talk about messing up your life. And so he could easily go, God, where are you? Why are you not working in this situation? Why am I a slave? And not only that, but why did my brothers make some money off me in doing this? And so I want to take us to Psalm 37, because in Psalm 37, King David, who's now older, and we've talked a little bit about him the last several weeks, but he's older, he's looking back on his life, and he's giving us, God's having him give us some um, interesting and some needful encouragement about how do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with people who have hurt you? And again, our context here is family because of um, Joseph, but it can deal with any um, conflict that we have. And now I love Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is kind of one of those foundational psalms in my life. I go back to it all the time because there are so many good promises. You know, God says, hey, do this, and I'm going to do this. You do this, and I'm going to do this. Hang in there. Don't worry about it. You do this, I'm going to do this. And I'm telling you, I have spent numerous hours reading through that, praying that, talking to God about it, studying it out. Psalm 37 is awesome. We're just going to spend some time in verses 1 through 6. But I want to give you a biblical truth to have in the back of your mind as we read these and work through these verses. And here's the biblical truth. No matter how badly others may hurt you, and again, the context is family. We can extend it to the church family if you want, or you know, extend it to family. God is able to accomplish His will through your response. All right? Now, here's the catch. We have to first be dedicated to God in our hearts. We have to be able to say, okay, God, no matter what happens in my life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust that your way of responding is the way I'm supposed to respond in every situation, and specifically in the area of conflict that I'm in. Because here's the deal. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, He has become our Savior. He has saved us from our sin. The power of sin in our lives, the consequences of sin in hell. So He's our Savior. But He's also our Master. He's our Father. He's our Master. We're His child, therefore we are obey. He is our Master. We're His servant, and therefore we obey. And so the catch is, and as we go through Psalm 37, and other areas of the Bible too, but specifically Psalm 37, it's about this having these hearts and desire and setting this as, a, as our dedication, that we are going to be dedicated to doing life God's way, no matter what the situation may be. And so let's look at what God had David write to us. And he says this, do not fret. Now that word actually means flared, or flared nostrils. So you ever been that mad? Or seen somebody so mad that their nostrils are going in and out? You know, they're just agitated and irritated. And they're just all worked up inside because of evildoers. So don't get all worked up. Don't flare the nostrils. Don't flail and fight with those who have hurt you, who have done damage to you, who have 
inflicted damage. Be not envious or jealous toward wrongdoers. And this has this idea that, um, and this wrongdoers has the idea of one who's putting pressure on your life, but don't become jealous. It has the idea of, again, like what Joseph might have been thinking, hey, they're getting away with everything. How is it that they get to get away with everything? And so we may see someone's hurt us, but their life goes on perfectly. There's no consequences. God, where are you at? Why? For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Now, kind of a weird way of uh, phrasing this, but basically he's, he's saying this, that we don't need to give people that kind of power over our lives because your life, their life, is a short-lived thing. We're going to be living for eternity. And so there's no reason to give someone power over us for the short lives we live here on earth for the fact that we're going to be living on for eternity. And so we just need to respond the way God wants us to respond and let him work out the deal because really we shouldn't be feeling that pressure uh, from them. So he goes on and says this then, trust or be confident in the Lord and do good. Dwell, which means to reside in place, in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now it's kind of interesting this word cultivate means to be friends with. To, to kind of like to hang out with faithfulness, you know, to kind of do life God's way as just a regular part of your life. Delight yourself or take pleasure in the Lord, and He will give you, so here's a promise, He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. We'll talk more about that. Trust also in Him. Here comes another promise, and He will do it. Well, what's it? Here's what He'll do. He'll bring forth your righteousness as a light and your judgment as a noonday. So let's kind of work through this this morning on these verses. Now, the first thing that we need to do, kind of going off of what I just got done talking about with the biblical truth, is that whatever we do from these verses, all right, all right, excuse me, has to flow from a dedicated relationship with God. All right, every verb, every command in this uh, this set of verses throughout the entire Psalm 37. Um, is just that. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, if you want, trust God. Hey, if you want, commit your way to God. It, you know, if it's a good day and you're feeling really good about life, you know, feel free to delight in the Lord. Now, these are commands. This is day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what we feel or think, or what other people tell us to feel or think, we do it God's way. This isn't a, hey, God, just trying to kind of check it in, see how you're doing that kind of relationship. I've heard people, yeah, I threw up a prayer today. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. It's not a throw up a prayer type of day. It's not finding a devotional thought for five minutes, reading that, and going on with your day. It's not that kind of relationship. Uh, it's, it's not finding something on Facebook that has a spiritual sounding thing, and so you share that or hit an amen because you want a blessing from it. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an actual relationship with God, where we are dedicated to Him. Because those who are dedicated to God when life is calm, when there isn't much conflict, are the ones that when conflict hits, they're going to respond the way God, typically respond the way God wants them to respond, and then they're going to see God work so that they trust in who He is and how He operates. Those who don't do this when life is calm, when conflict hits, they're the ones who are flailing. They're the ones who are, you know, scratching 
and clawing and all worked up emotionally. And in that, they're not knowing who God is and they're not trusting in his way because they're not experiencing him. They're all worked up emotionally. And I'll talk more about that here in a second. So how should we respond? We have conflict, something happens. Usually we're not necessarily expecting it. How do we respond? Well, the first thing is not what we first think that we should do, okay? So he says here in these verses, one and two, don't remain angry or jealous. That's kind of what he's saying here. Don't fret. Now, I say don't remain angry. Why is that? Well, because our, our initial response is always, well, almost always, 98% of the time, anger or frustration or getting worked up or not liking this or whatever, however you want to phrase it. So the word, as we said, the word fret means to be have flared nostril, to be angry, to be agitated, to be irritated. We've all been there, right? Either initially expect, you know, um, responding to somebody or they're upset with us, so then we respond back. Whatever the case is, we've all been there. And he says, don't be envious. <clears throat> and envious, again, has this idea that they're getting away with it. God doesn't see what's happening. Uh, I, I need to respond to this, otherwise they're going to roll over me. All right? He says, no, don't do that. Because again, they shouldn't have that power over you. This life is too short to let other people have that power over you. You need to allow God to have that control over you in your response. So if we're not to hold on to our, our anger... What do we do? How do we respond? And again, this is rubber meets the road. All right, so we, those of us who say we're Christians, God's saying, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. This is what happens in your life when difficult times happen. So our first thought is it may be retaliation, but that's not our first response. Our first response is take a breath, trust God by doing good. That's Verses, uh, verse 3a. So to trust means to be confident or have security in God and in his ways. Trust that the way God says to do relationships is the way to do relationships. Trust that the way God says to uh, reconcile conflict is the way to reconcile conflict. Not your way, not somebody else's way, but God's way. The Greek word, uh, so the Greek uh, people took the Old Testament, translated into Greek, and when they did that, they used a word it's that's in the aorist imperative. You get to understand grammar when you're in here as well. And it means to do it now and to keep doing it. All right, so you, you continually trust God by doing good. Show that you trust God by actually living life his way. That's what that means. We do that when life is calm. We do that day in and day out before the conflict ever happens. We're training ourselves we're developing a heart that's focused on God, dedicated to God. And so we continually do that. And in the midst of conflict, we continually do that. In fact, it sounds a lot like Jesus on the cross. So this is Jesus on the cross. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? Kept entrusting. He was trusting and doing good. Trusting and doing good. Trusting and doing good entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So he was trusting God, that God sees what's happening to him, and that 
God is going to make it work out. He's going to take the pain because God's going to work it out. Now we know for Jesus Christ, that brought us salvation and we're drawn to him. And so for us, we take the pain, we trust God and show that trust by doing good, even though it could be painful. Why? Because we're drawing that person to God, either for salvation or if saved, for a closer relationship. That they can see somebody in their life who's actually doing life God's way. So we do good. We show trust. Now, trusting, another way of putting it, trusting is actively being obedient. All right? We talk a lot about trust. We talk a lot about faith. When we do that, we need to understand it's actively obeying. And this is going to look different. Okay? It's going to look different than what your initial thought is. It's going to look different than what your friends are telling you. It may even look different than what Dr. Phil tells you. Or Oprah, if she's still giving advice. I don't know. I don't even pay attention to her. But here's what God says uh, in 1 Peter. It says this. To sum up, now we spend a lot of time in 1 Peter. Everyone, you know, if you've been here for a while, you've seen this. But to sum up, all of you. So he's talking to people previously who are in conflict. And right before this is marriage conflict, by the way. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit when things are going good. No, in conflict. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Again, that's our first thought, right? You know, we, somebody comes at us, what are we going to do? We're coming back at them. Right? They're not going to get it on us. But giving a blessing instead, we're going to respond with good. We're going to trust by doing it God's way. For you were called for this very purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you may not have known this when you came to Christ, but now you're hearing it. When you came to Christ, you were putting yourself in a position where you were called by name, by God, for this purpose, to receive pain and respond back the way God wants you to. To be used by God to show Christ-like love to people who have hurt us, that you might inherit a blessing. That's a blessing from God. God's going to let us understand who he is. He's going to work through us. We're going to know him better, trust him more. Now, he's not saying don't address the issue. You don't just let it go. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, you have a responsibility. If someone's hurt you, that you go to that person and you have a conversation, a conversation with that person. Not flailing, not scratching, not yelling, just a conversation. So I was thinking about that this week. And uh, one of the things that came to mind is like, if somebody comes into my office, most times, not every time, but most of the time, uh, someone comes to my office, they want to talk about something, um, and they got an issue they want to work through. And so what I'll do is, hey, before we start, let me go ahead and pray. Because what I, what I want is I want God to give me wisdom as I'm talking. I don't want people having my wisdom. I want God's wisdom. Because so, a lot of times I don't know what they're coming in to talk about. So then I pray, and then they tell me what they're talking about. And then, you know, because God and I have spent time in the Bible a lot, he'll kind of direct me to a passage or, or whatever. Imagine, because I started thinking about this for my life, when I've been in conflict with somebody, how often have I said, hey, I need, I need to have a conversation with you. Let's pray. You know how sad it is to hear from a pastor <laughs> that a pastor's like, hey, ever think about maybe praying, praying before you have that conversation with somebody? But if you're, have, if you're in conflict with somebody, 
What a great way to start this. Trust God and do the good thing of saying, hey, can we pray first? And then you, you pray and ask God to convict them of their snow. You just pray and ask God to give you unity and give you understanding and understanding hearts on both sides. And then you begin to express whatever it is. What a way to change that, especially if the person's a believer. Because now the Holy Spirit is the one who's connecting you two. And, I don't know, just something to think about moving forward if you're having to deal with um, these different things. All right. So then he goes on, he says this, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now the Jewish people know this as, oh, this is what God told us way back when, before we ever entered the promised land in Israel, that he said, hey, go into the land, and if you do life my way, I'm going to bless you. But if you don't do life my way, I'm going to have to discipline you as your God and as your father. I'm going to discipline you, and I may even have some nations around you take you into captivity for a while just to get your attention. And we know that, unfortunately, that's what happened to Israel. But they were understanding, oh, if we, if we keep doing life God's way, God's going to bless us. And that's what this is basically talking about here for us today, is that we dwell, we stay in this place of trusting God and doing good in the good times of our lives and in the difficult times of our lives. We're developing a heart that's sensitive to God so that when we get into conflict, we're responding the proper way. And then we cultivate faithfulness. I just love this word. I've, I've never, you know, I've studied this before, but this uh, one person brought up the idea that it's, it's like having uh, friendship with faithfulness. That you like to hang out with faithfulness. That you're a person that God looks at and says, yeah, they're, they're going to be dependable. Now, of course, they're, they're, he knows that because you keep trusting him and he gives you the strength to do it. But he can count on you. You know, you're, you're a friend to faithfulness. So how do we do that? He goes on, he says, delight yourselves in the Lord. Now, I, I got to be able to explain this real quick. So, uh, ladies, you're going to get this one. Guys, are going to have to work a little bit harder for you. So, ladies, this is like when someone gets engaged and there's a, a ring on their finger, right? And all of like, oh, let me see your ring. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's so small. No, I mean, it's so wonderful. And you're, what are they, they're delighting in this ring and they're delighting in the relationship and they're delighting in their happiness. And, oh, this is a wonderful, beautiful thing. Or it's a baby. You know, guys are kind of king and now they're acting like they're not. But, they're, you know, a baby shows up and they're like, oh, it's so cute. Oh, I'm so happy for you. You have this little baby. You know, I'm kind of understanding this now with the grand, grandkids, you know, and holding Ben yesterday and he's, he puts his head on my shoulder and so then I start patting him. He goes, ah, so it's, ah, you know. And I, but I'm delighting in that. This is awesome. Okay, guys, it's a Glock. You get yourself a new concealed carry handgun. You're like, oh, yeah. All the guys are around. Oh, it's nice. And then everyone starts talking about their concealed carry and what their gun is and how what a velocity, you know, of this bullet. <sighs> Delighting. It means to enjoy God. It means to be fond of God, to, to enjoy being in His presence, to spend time with Him, reading the Bible and talking about what you're reading and having this conversation. You know, there's, there's no more important thing in our lives than that. 
to know this God and have this relationship with him. Because see, we tend to have our thoughts be what we're fond of. And we think about what our thoughts and about what we think we should do and how we should respond. And that's what we normally think about. And God's like, no, I want you to delight in me. I want you to know me. And I want you to move out from there. Author James Smith puts it this way. He says, sin has taken our attention off of God and fixed it upon ourselves or to things around us. Grace, so this salvation, this relationship with God, calls our attention off of everything else to fix it upon God. It directs us to delight in the Lord. The fact that God died on the cross for our sins, that he'd be willing to do that, should cause us to just delight in him, to want to be with him, to know this God who loves us and sacrifices for us. And here's the promise. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now that word desire in the Hebrew means need. And so he's not going to give you, Lord, I just you know, pray that that person is somehow taken out of my life. You know, um, move them somewhere else. No, this is need. And so as you spend time with God, as you get to know who God is, his heart becomes your heart. You begin to understand more about what it is that he wants to do in and through you. And so he can naturally give you the desires of your heart because you're, you're going to know that what you need is what he wants to provide and he's going to provide you what you need. And then the last one is this. So we've been kind of talking about the heart, really, and, and you know, uh, setting up ourselves that we have a heart for God. And then he says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him. Commit your way to the Lord. That, that has this idea of as, as a carpet rolled out in front of you. So as your life is rolled out in front of you, as you're walking down this carpet, this thing called life, that you're committing your way to the Lord. You're going to take your steps and you're going to order them the way God wants you to order them. You're going to do the thought has called you to do. You're going to respond the way that God calls you to respond. And you show your trust in him by doing that. You can't say, I trust in God, and not do that. Trust is active. And here's God's promise. He says, he will do it. Do what? He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Now, what does that mean? No, seriously, what does it mean? I mean no, I, I, so here's, here's how that kind of plays out. You do something. Somebody gets upset with you. You might have, you might have intentionally done it. You may have in, uh, unintentionally done it, but it happened. And so now they're angry at you. Now you have a choice. You have a choice to respond the way you want to respond, or you have a choice to respond the way God wants you to respond. Here's God's promise. You respond the way I want you to respond, and your righteousness, your right response, will be seen by everyone to be the right choice. Now, you can't um, demand the person, um, demand them to respond a certain way. You can only be responsible for how you respond. But other people are going to be watching it. And it's going to come back, if you do it God's way, it's going to come back. It may come back quickly. It may take a long time. But it's going to see that how you responded was the right response. And your justice as the noonday sun. In other words, God's going to make it right. Not necessarily with this person, because you can't determine that, but other people watching you. 
I'll tell you, I have had this situation happen in the past. Um, and, and there's a situation with, in Kim's life that I still look at, and I'm just like, wow, you know, the way she responded was, was awesome. Because to this day, she doesn't know what the issue was. But the people who are not speaking to her today are her best friends. She's never brought it up. But there was a period of time where they had nothing to do with her. To this day, she doesn't know what it was. Something happened because of how she responded to that. Something happened. God did something. One lady came up to her and said, I'm sorry, I've, I've misunderstood some things about you, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And again, Kim's like, what? No, she didn't. I would be like, well, what was it? I wanted to know, you know. I've experienced it. I know there's people in our church family who have experienced this, that when you do it God's way, that it comes back, and God says, hey, listen, I want to let everybody know this person, they did it right. It may look differently for different people, but that's a promise from God. If we do it right, in other words, he's going to make so that your character stands, so that people know that you are a follower of God. Well, as the band comes up, we're going to go ahead and close with a song this week. I know it kind of shocked some of you guys, but we're, I told Logan, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get done on time. We'll close with a song. But some takeaways. First of all, make the changes Take this time during the song and commit to make the changes necessary for you to be with God in his word, to get to know this God and, and to experience that developing of a relationship where you're fond of him, where you want to be with him, where you enjoy him. It may mean, you guys, listen, it may mean going to bed sooner and getting up earlier. It might mean turning off the TV. It might be putting your phone away. It may be deleting some apps. I don't know what it's going to take, but make the commitment. Because when we do this, when the times are calm, when difficult times come up, we're going to revert to what God wants us to do in response to that. And then secondly, if you've hurt someone, if you're the instigator, all right, or the responder, you need to commit to taking the step to ask God first for forgiveness and then go to that person and ask them for forgiveness. Again, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is going to somebody and leaving the door open. Say, I'm not going to use this against you. Leaving the door open for reconciliation. You can't be responsible for the response. You can only be responsible for yourself. But you have to take that step and let God then be the one who's going to work out the details of that. Logan?